You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. For even an independent filmmaker, Justin Simeon is pretty self-reliant. He crowdsourced the funding for his first movie, Dear White People. He writes and directs the Netflix series, too. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Justin Simeon talks about his new movie, a horror film called Bad Hair. And yes, the hair is literally bad. It's a living evil weave that makes things miserable for a young TV producer and everyone around her. Hey, Justin. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. How you doing? Man, I'm in production, so I don't know where I am, who I am, <laughs> but it's good to be here. Now, are, are you one of those people who love being in production, or are you driven crazy by it, but you do it because the thing at the finish line makes you smile? Man, that's a great question. I, I love directing. I love directing. Like once I'm on set and I'm working with the actors and I'm working on the material and I'm picking the shots, love that part. That happens to be about 35% of the job. <laughs> so the running around and the and the fires to put out and the chaos and the, you know, Justin, what color should the socks be? That part, I, I could take or leave, but it comes with the job. So I do it because I really, really, really love the 35% of the time when I'm actually creative and directing. <laughs> and and is that your superpower? I mean, is that the part that you're best at? Is it is it the script writing? Is it are you particularly good at casting? Like what wh where is your magic sauce at this point in your journey? I think for me it's it, I'm going to give you kind of an esoteric answer. It's the storytelling part because that exists in each of the phases, you know. Like when I'm casting, when I'm writing, when I'm directing on set and then when I'm cutting it, when I'm really molding that story, like that's when I'm my fire is lit. Uh, and so thankfully, there's a lot of that throughout the process. But there's just this logistical side, you know, movie and TV making is so weird. We act like we're writing a book for several months. 
then we act like we're on a bunch of photo shoots based on that book and then we like are montaging the photo shoot like it's a very weird like you know segmented process <laughs> you, you know when you say that though what's so interesting going through this whole covid 2020 year we've had it's made me think that a lot of things should be reimagined how we live how we love where we work and now hearing you say that like could, could if you were starting from scratch how would you make a film like now that you've actually made them before, would you fundamentally do it differently than what people do now? Absolutely. One of the things I've realized, and I realized this really during quarantine because, you know, I got my break uh, whoa, six or seven years ago now uh, when, when Dear White People went to Sundance. And, um, you know, it's just been such a fast pace since then. So I've just kind of fallen into a specific rhythm of making things. But during quarantine, when everything sort of like shut down and slowed down, I realized, oh my God, I really miss editing. And I really miss that weird thing I used to do when I collected a bunch of pictures and clips and like just had them there around me while I was writing. And I realized, you know, the way the animators do it is that they start putting the picture and the dialogue and the story all at the same time. And even though I'm making live action because I am a writer director uh, and I'm an editor too, even though I usually have an editor or editors working with me, um, it's really important for me to be able to visually imagine the story from the very beginning. I need the visual, the sound and the ideas all the way through. I don't quite know what that looks like yet, <laughs> but I, I did realize that is that, you know, I, I was having so much fun developing projects and writing scripts because I actually had time to harvest imagery and to cut little things together and play, you know, like bring that sense of play back into my process. Who do you love to share your work with? Because all of us have certain people who we share our work with because we know we have to. We share our work with other people because they might give us work. But there's certain people who you you know that you love sharing your work with. Maybe they'll have good stuff, maybe, but, but you just, you know there's something nice when you share your work with them. Who's that for you? Who do you love sharing your work with? You know, I have a really great little uh, crew. Uh, I mean, it's not my crew. We're all each other's crew at this point, you know. Um, Lena Waithe and I met in a writer's room years and years ago. Like a, it was, it was not a real writer's room. It was just, she's a person that, you know, sees a lot of my stuff. Uh, Dime Davis and Tiffany Johnson are two other filmmakers that I, I just always go to. And of course, my friend Rick, you know, he sees everything. He sees every cut, every draft, every take, uh, um, you know, so, so those are the people I rely on the most. Wait, did you say Dime Davis? Yeah, Dime Davis. She um, She's a filmmaker, uh, but she also did, uh, she was a showrunner of the second season of Boomerang. Um, she also did every, directed every episode of the first season of Black Lady Sketch Show. We went to the same high school in Houston, so I've just known her for years and years. You know, something is going on in Houston. We have only been doing this show for two months, and you Houstonians, you are blowing up this show from your girl, Beyonce to the chief of police, Art Acevedo, to William Jackson Harper, to, I don't know if you know your girl, Ogi Ubuno, who's uh, an up and coming young filmmaker, but, but, but you guys are, I feel like you guys are everywhere doing interesting stuff. Did you grow up in Houston the whole way through or, or, or did you just get there for high school? No, I, I grew up there. I was born there, born and raised in Houston. And you know, there's something in the water, but one thing I noticed about all of us from Houston is we, we have this ability to be incredibly in 
intense and focused and this is what I want and exacting, but we're like laid back at the same time. <laughs> and that city is how it felt because it's a big city. It's a bustling city, but we're also in the South. And so like, you know, we somehow know how to go fast and slow. <laughs> you, you know, you know that, that's a whole skill in and of itself. You know, one of the other things I noticed about you, you've got a special voice. You got blessed. Someone played around with your vocal cords early and you've got a nice voice. And, and how much do you think that has impacted your success? Because I'm sure you've had to pitch a lot. I'm sure you also have to command a crew and a team and a room. And hearing you is probably a different experience than hearing someone else. Have, do you think your voice has played into it or, or it's nice to have a great voice but hasn't really played a role in terms of uh, this journey you've been on? You know, I think it does. I got my voice from my dad, you know. Uh, my, my dad died when I was really little, but uh, as I've gotten older, people who knew him, you know, often remark, oh, boy, you sound just like Uncle Mac, or you, you talk just like him, or you walk just like him. He was, a, he was a radio DJ for a period of time, so I guess I have that. The weird thing about it is that no matter how I present on, like, an interview with, you know, you... I'm a very introverted person. So it's a it's a weird mix of like have, being able to speak publicly <laughs> and, uh, you know, having that skill. It did not hurt that I went to performing arts high school in Houston and was a theater major. Um, you know, I, I can turn it on. I can turn her on, you know, when I need to. And I, I definitely think it has helped. I think any black person trying to make it in an industry that is not made up of them predominantly you know, you learn how to use your voice. You learn how to modulate your pitch. You learn how to turn a phrase. <laughs> what would surprise that young fellow who was at Houston's Magnet School for the Arts back then? So clearly he cared about the arts. He wanted to do something in the arts. But what would surprise him most about your journey, number one? And then number two, if you were giving him a little piece of advice about how to go from here to there, like what would you tell him if you were trying to give him the real real? Not the thing that you're telling thousands of people, but it's just you and young Justin. Like, like what, what would you say to him? I would tell him that your queerness is your superpower and to not be afraid of it and to not wait to get to know that part of yourself. Because when I think about, when I think about, you know, the things that people celebrate, you know, me for, it comes out of that same queer spirit. You know, it's not, it's not about sexuality. It's about the fact that like, as a queer person, I have to integrate and blend things that the rest of the world think don't really go together. You know, I was raised a Catholic. I, I, I was a Christian for a long time. I'm a Buddhist now. Um, and I had to be able to navigate that spiritual path uh, through lots of communities that maybe didn't think that was okay. I had to be a black man and be queer, which is a whole thing that was definitely not being taught. That no one was teaching me how to do that uh, growing up in the South. Um, but it is my queerness of like a lot of like, you know, when you look at my stuff, you're like, why did, where did he come up with that? Why did he think to put those two things together? Well, that's because like, that's how I've, I've lived my entire life. And there's a part of me that understands that there's something special uh, when you put things together that maybe the rest of the world doesn't get what they have to do with each other. And truly, it might feel esoteric, but that is where so much of, you know, uh, my voice as an artist really does come from. It's a wellspring for me. You know, I don't think it feels esoteric at all. It's funny. I was interviewing uh, Lee Daniels, the producer and director, a couple years ago, and it was in that moment with him that I said, we are going to have an LGBTQ president in the next decade. 
that that similar to you, I felt like there was a superpower in embracing that and that we were entering an era where um, a willingness to be open, to be bold, to be confident, even when other people couldn't be confident in you, a willingness to confront Goliath when you're David, um, that all of those things were going to matter more and actually be more possible in a digital era, right? You got more slingshots to work with. And that when I saw that, and then I saw, you know, Mayor Pete come along, and while he didn't make it, I, I, I was not surprised that he did as well as he did. And, and I was left with the belief that there's yet more to come. Um, and so that's interesting to hear you say, when did you start, you know, going there and tapping into to your, to your truest self? Well, I, I mean, I knew I was gay at a young age, but I didn't, you know, I, I had different myths in my head about it. I thought maybe it would pass. I thought maybe it was a phase. And when I realized it wasn't, <laughs> you know, it was a thing that I was proud of, but it sort of lived alongside of my life. I think that like what I'm experiencing really recently, I would say like in the past maybe five years or so, is that it's not just a thing about me. It's the thing about me. It is, you know, you talk about that David versus Goliath energy. Queer people, we don't really have a choice. It comes forth no matter what. We know I'm attracted to that or I this feels right, even when the entire world is saying, no, that's not right. And so, like, there's this internal need to survive and to fight and to be ourselves um, that just impacts every aspect of my life, especially as an artist. Because even if I'm not even touching upon those themes in a literal way, the energy of that, yes, Justin, you can shoot a black movie and do weird, you know, angles and, and be referencing the French New Wave and in German Expressionism. Why not? Of course you can put classical music and jazz and hip-hop right up next to each other in the score. Of course you can make a horror movie about a, <laughs> a sentient weave. Like, you know, there's, there's a part of me that gets excited when I'm not supposed to do something. And, and that's where that comes from, I think. You know what I love that you said, and you've already said a couple of these, so I can already tell that there's also another certain kind of um, magic that you have as well. You know, there aren't many people in this world who would ever use the phrase a sentient weave. Not many people would ever use that phrase. And so even... You, you, We're trying to change that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, well, well, did you enjoy making that movie Bad Hair? Yeah. I mean, look, it, it's the way my mind works. You know, that, that movie really started with like me kind of laughing about the concept. Like, oh, gosh, that would make a crazy movie. But just sort of throwing it away. But then it was it became the idea that like it kept me up at night because, it, you know, my first thought was like, you can't do that. And then the, uh, this other part of my brain is like, no, but what if you did that, though? And, and, and maybe you snuck that into it. And and there was this moment um, really early on when I realized, oh, my God, like I would love to make a horror movie. I would love to make a psychological thriller. I've known I wanted to be a filmmaker since I was a kid and I've loved horror movies since I was a kid. Why has it never hit me to make one before? And I realized, well, it's because I never seen myself in them. You, you know, for people who obviously most people have not seen the film. So so give people the 30 second pitch. Give them the elevator pitch. What is this movie, Bad Hair? And why should I go see it? Tell the people. So it's a movie uh, about a woman who is trying to make it in 1989's, you know, looks obsessed world of, of music entertainment. She wants to be a VJ. Uh, but in order to do that, her new boss, who is played by Vanessa Williams, says that she has to get a weave. 
So she gets a weave, and as her career begins to blossom, because people can suddenly see her and see how talented she's been this whole time, uh, unfortunately, the weave, as I mentioned before, is sentient, haunted, uh, and needs blood in order to survive. So, uh, you know, it's like it's doing well for her at work, but there's a bit of a body count building up at night. <laughs> and so at a certain point, she has to make a choice, you know, uh, between how she wants to live her life. Um, and it was really important for me to make the movie not about her choice to get the weave because I did not want to interrogate women's choices. What I wanted to interrogate was we live in a society where women are given less choices than men and black women in particular are given, you know, all, just a couple compared to the 15 or 20 that other, you know, kind of folks get. And so is it really a choice if she's told that she has to leave her job, which frankly is a reality for black women in current 2020 year uh, in this year, um, you know, uh, is it really a choice if she was going to get fired if she doesn't do it? And I wanted to interrogate that. Um, and I wanted to really like talk about the evils of the system that I think are taking advantage of, of really all of us, but particularly uh, our black women. Have you ever been fired? Oof, no, I've never been fired. No. But I've sure had to tap dance <laughs> to keep from getting fired. You know, I've, I've certainly had to tuck away parts of myself uh, and keep them under lock and key uh, in order to survive in, in different corporate settings, for sure. Which is kind of a, it's a it's a different kind of death. Uh, it's a different kind of loss than getting fired, but it is a loss. And there's something else I wanted to kind of talk about with this film. Do you still find yourself tap dancing, uh, but maybe in a different way today? Uh, or, or, or where are you in your Sammy Davis journey? <laughs> oh, my goodness. In my Sammy Davis journey, I think I'm in rhythm of life mode. I don't know what that means, but it sounds right. Um, no, I, yeah, I still have to tap dance. You know, I, I'm still to make movies and TV shows. I am reliant upon other people's money. I am not a millionaire. I don't know. You know, I don't have I don't have it like that. I still have to go to big companies uh, and, and people with a lot of money to make my movies. So uh, in order for that to happen, yeah, there are times when I have to be a little more presentational or, uh, you know, in a pitch meeting or something like that or dealing with difficult people in the industry. Uh, you know, one has to play it cool. The difference, though, is that, um, you know, I feel a, a lot more grounded in who I am. Um, I know when I'm putting, when I have to put on a show, I know when it's time to turn it off and I know who I am versus who I have to be, you know, uh, out there in the world to get something done. There's a difference between those two people and, and they're not quite as enmeshed as they were uh, when I was younger and just getting started. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year 
equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you say that you are more yourself today than you were even five years ago, is that just maturation? Is that success? Is that love? What has allowed you to go from, you know, uh, uh, Justin of the 20s <laughs> to Justin in his 30s? Love has a big, a big part to do with it, I have to say. You know, I met my partner uh, of almost seven years right, or right after, I would say, my big break and Sundance with Dear White People. Um, and the other part of it is getting the things that I thought were making me unhappy, like breaking into the industry, having a TV show, getting to direct, um, having you know money to pay my bills, uh, being able to buy my mom a house, doing, accomplishing those things and realizing I was just as freaking miserable as I was before. That was like a, a big aha moment. And, and it was a, a chance to, to recognize and realize that my happiness is not really about what happens on the outside. It, my happiness determines actually what, what comes to me and how, uh, how I can appreciate and, and use those things to my benefit. Um, so that shift was a, a real big one. It was not an easy shift. Um, it took time and it took lots of experiences and lots of difficulties, frankly, uh, to overcome. Uh, you know, it, it really is kind of a, a mind screw <laughs> uh, to be successful and for people to, to see you as successful, but to know that deep inside, like, I'm not really that happy, though. I'm not that excited. And what's that about? And why is that? And, and making that, that journey to, like, doing what I love but not loving it to doing what I love and totally loving it. Um, that took a lot of love, <laughs> took a lot of patience on my part and uh, also the people around me, for sure. 
How much did therapy play a role? Have you ever been able to make good use of therapy? Oh, yes. Yes, sir. (laughs) I'm a big, big fan of therapy. Um, To be honest with you, this year was so crazy for me. There was a time when I was in therapy three times a week, you know, um, I'm a huge fan of therapy. Uh, I talk about it all the time and, and beyond just therapy. But, you know, if you need it, medication, because here's the thing. Uh, growing up black and gay in the South, you have trauma, boo. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good your parents were, how good the school. Just being something other than the default. We have trauma. Our nervous systems are taxed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot to, to really unpack that, figure out what that's about, figure out, oh, I'm not really mad because I got notes from the studio. I'm really mad because when I was a kid, I didn't feel listened to and nobody, you know, it, it's, it's about other things. And realizing that, like, oh, giving myself space and time to really deal with that stuff in my interior life, it actually makes the exterior life doable better, more interesting. I'm more available emotionally, you know, for my relationship, for the work that I'm doing on set, for the conversations that I'm having with actors. Um, you know, we, we all think it's about what they're doing to us, but it's, it's the other way around. You know, I love, Justin, where you're going, and I, I see this village in, enveloping you and or you building it between your crew, uh, between love, Uh, between um, experience, as you said, some of that experience reminded you that what you're getting may not be all that you need, between therapy, between medication. Anything interesting about faith, spirituality that's played a role in here? Or while that's important in many people's lives, that hasn't been as central to the journey you've been on? Yeah, it's been pretty central to me. You know, I I was born and raised a Catholic, um, and I I eventually needed to find myself outside of that particular experience. I experimented with different forms of Christianity. And um, when I'm around the time I moved to Los Angeles, I began meditating. Uh, And eventually that meditation practice gave way to a Buddhist practice. Um, And, you know, for me, it is a practice. It's really not so much about belief systems. Um, it's, It's more so about being able to do something regularly that helps just kind of modulate what's going on inside and also embrace all of my dichotomies. You know, I think that's a really amazing concept in all the different forms of Buddhism is that like we are made of all these different things. You know, this is before people really understood how the brain worked, but they still, you know, the Buddhists have intuited for centuries. Like we're made up of these different voices in our heads and there is a Buddha nature in there, but there's a lot of other stuff too. And it's not something to be afraid of or to put in a box or to run away from. It's actually, it, it must be embraced. We have to integrate all these different energies and voices in our heads. Um, and, and, and that for me has been a huge, huge, you know, uh, part of my success, I would say. I would attribute a lot of my success to um, mainly being a spiritual seeker who, you know, when it's time to, to try something new or seek something out, I've always had that sort of seeking spirit where I just wanted to, you know, let me try this. Let me let me go and chant for the first time or, or let me go meditate or let me go on, you know, this retreat. I, I've always had that spirit. I'm not afraid to sort of try something new in my spiritual life. And um, being able to do that and to grow in that way, 
I mean, there's just no way I'd get here without it, you know? Um, as wonderful as therapy is, I wasn't raised in a, in a tradition of going to therapy. That's something I had to learn. But even though I'm not a Catholic anymore, I was raised in the tradition of, you know, of, of going to my spiritual life um, as an answer when things get a little too crazy on the outside. And that's never left me. Are you a, are you a good business person? I think I'm an okay business person. You know, I think I'm a, I'm a great artist. <laughs> I think as a business person, I am catching up considerably. Who has helped you with that at all? Have you gotten good insight uh, from from people or books or podcasts or other things? Or is that still something that is kind of riding alongside you and is not yet in the car with you? There have been a lot of great teachers. Some of them, they didn't know they were teaching me uh, anything. It was, it was them being crazy that taught me. Uh, and some people, you know, I've had some great mentors as well, uh, especially on Dear White People. You know, Yvette Lee Bowser was my showrunner for the first uh, two seasons. And, and that's all been very helpful. But I have to say, not just with business in all regards. Um, I've had to mentor myself, really. I've had to, you know, go, you know, I'm not happy with the way this is. I don't know why such and such isn't working, but let me go find some books on the subject. Let me go find an expert to talk to. Let me go find some videos or let me, let me try this. Let me try that. It really has been a trial and error process. Um, I grew up in a very loving family, but nobody knew anything about this business or thought that this would even be a viable way for me to make income. So I've really had to teach myself um, and, and, and self-soothe so that as an outsider, I, I, I had something in my voice that was telling me, you know, you belong here. You belong here. Just keep going. Just keep trying. You know, I loved your title, Dear White People, because at the time, it was such an announcement, right? It was, uh, <laughs> I will not be held back. But, but, it, but it was such an announcement. How did people respond to that, Justin? Because, you know, I, even without knowing you, I know you've got a broad and integrated friendship set. Yeah. And I bet you even some of them were like, what are you trying to tell me? Do you know what I mean? How did you, what was the response you got from that title? Well, there was a lot of anger. You know, what, what I've realized is that Dear White People really is, it's a personal litmus test. However you hear that phrase says something about you and who you imagine to be saying it. Because I'd have white friends that were like, oh my God, that's amazing. I love it. I'm into it. I'd have black friends that are like, got it. Do, say it twice a day. Thank you for this movie. But no matter what race they were, I had people who were very upset about that title. I've had, you know, people of color say, well, why are you centering white people in your conversation? And, you know, I, you know there, there's kind of a phrase that you hear a lot in, in the Dear White People TV show. I think we say it almost every season where someone in exasperation says, it's just a mis it's a misnomer. <laughs> the title is a misnomer, you know, because it's meant to sort of um, communicate a vibe as opposed to like a specific like statement. Uh, but what I found is that like it actually is a it's an interesting way to tell like how we're just where you're at on race and, and and how you think black people talk because the truth is the words dear white people incredibly friendly what letter doesn't begin with dear there doesn't have to be an exclamation mark after the dear white people there could be a comma you know it could be a thank you note who knows <laughs> but i have noticed that you, since, you know what oh, i love i love I lo I, no go ahead please i i love that you're saying that is it's funny when i was in college there was an interesting book that came out, um, I think it was by a Harvard Law professor, Derek Bell, where he said that, that systemic racism was so deep that he thought that if Martians came and said, you know, give us all the black people, we'll take them away, 
and it'll be good for them. We'll end the problem. He said he thought that sadly, most white people ultimately, for one reason or another, would ultimately agree <laughs> and that that would happen. It was quite a controversial book when he put it out there. And I remember discussing it with friends. And we always joked that one of my friends, Rachel Donaldson, we always said that she'd be the one holdout. We said that there's just no way she would agree to that. She just wouldn't agree to it. No matter what the Martian said, Rachel would be like, no, I'm not doing that. You can't fool me. You can't say it's going to be good for them. You can't say that everyone's going to be happier. Just not doing that. It's not okay. And so I do think that's kind of an interesting kind of Rorschach test, litmus test, oh, yeah. um, to kind of see where, where, where people – what have you learned about race? I mean, you've obviously been a black man your whole life. As you said, you've lived in the South. You've lived in a large city. Um, you've obviously had a chance to live in different parts of the country. But, but what, if anything, would surprise a younger Justin on the question of race? And I'm, by the way, I'm not presuming something good, something bad, something other, but what have you learned about race, particularly since you started, you know, something as profound as Dear White People, which started as a film, became a, uh, uh, became a successful TV series on Netflix? I think the biggest thing that I've learned about it is that it's actually the stuff that isn't obvious, that's not clear, that's not black and white, to use a term that actually is pretty apropos. It's not the obvious things um, that actually, that's, that's the way racism most impacts my life. I'm not outrunning a lynch mob per se uh, in my day to day. It's really about the stuff that creeps up in the institutions that lives in our blind spots. The stuff that I feel crazy even saying out loud, but something inside tells me this isn't right. You know, I remember when Obama got elected president and my mom was concerned immediately. I was still in that hope kind of phase. And she was like, Justin, they are not going to do him, right? I was like, no, it's going to be fine. And then like a week went by and I was like, oh, okay. There's like a whole news report on him wearing a tan suit. Got it. Okay, this is, this is racism. And so, like, you know, having to realize that, like, so much of racism really does live under the surface. Um, it, it has to be excavated. And that process is not fun. It is painful. It's painful as a person of color. It's going to be painful for white people as they're starting to do it as well. Like, you know, we have to look, relook at some of these assumptions that we've based a lot of our lives on. And, and that's where the change needs to happen. You know, it, it needs to happen in our day-to-day -day conversations and our ability to sort of take a note, you know, and someone says, whoa, hold up. I didn't like the way that felt. You know, as a gay man, I, I learned I have to, I, I have privileges too. I still have male privilege. And so when a woman tells me, hey, Justin, like this line in the script, it, it doesn't feel right. I got to step back and not be the writer director. I have to just be a person on this earth learning about someone else's experience. I have to lean in. I have to be more curious about how a person is feeling than I need to be right. I've had to learn that lesson. And, and, you know, even given the fact that I'm a black gay man that made a show called Dear White People, I have to learn that lesson every day, you know. My favorite quote about blind spots, when you're driving, you have to check your blind spots constantly. It's not just once or twice. You have to check your blind spots every time you turn, every time you change lanes, every time you do something. Uh, otherwise, you're going to get in a wreck. That's how often we have to be comfortable checking ourselves and, and wondering if that assumption we've always had uh, is right or wrong. We have, to be, we have to really be comfortable with that. Ooh, uh, uh, Justin, that was a dime. That was good. Uh, uh, you're, you're challenging Gloria Steinem. Gloria Steinem <laughs> dropped the best dime we've had uh, in the last month. And uh, 
We said we're going to create a T-shirt. She she oh, she said no we're going to do it anyways. So, uh, which was which was uh, her quote, which was a to talk about that angst, that uncertainty, that do you listen to that voice? And it was permission to trust yourself and to go all the way there. And as as you've said, you're blessed that at thirty seven, thirty eight, you've you've allowed yourself to trust yourself more often than not. But as you know, many of us can get to 50, 60, 70, 80 and look back and say, we never, yikes, I, I never really allowed myself to be herself or himself for whatever combination of reasons. And uh, and so that's- a, It's yeah. like beaten out of us. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like it's beaten out of us. You know, racism is, um, it's an instrument of capitalism. Hate to say it, guys. <laughs> you know, I hate to go there. Uh, we all love capitalism. I, I think what we don't love is capitalism being unchecked. And the reason why some people have a different value in our, our country than others is because of capitalism. It literally begins with slavery on the auction block, okay? And when those slaves were freed, we had to have a reason why we can continue to use them for, you know, cheap labor. That's where racism comes from. And so, you know, all of us are affected by it, not just black folks. You know, white straight men are affected by it, too, uh, because this this sense that like, no, don't trust yourself. Don't trust your instincts. Trust what we are telling you it should be. Trust the outside system. Uh, just play by the rules that you are given. And in, and in fact, it's actually a push and a pull. There's sometimes we need to trust ourselves. Sometimes we need to be open to what others and people on the outside are telling us. It's it's not one way your entire life or even like an entire minute. <laughs> one conversation, you have to be able to move back and forth. And so, you know, I think that's why we get into so much trouble is because before we even know who we are, we're told like, don't believe your gut. Don't trust your feelings. Like, do what you're told. <laughs> you know that that is such a a profound and thoughtful uh, uh, point there that I that I know people have thought about and made along the way, but I haven't heard it in conversation recently. And in the same way that your girl Ava DuVernay, you know, connected for yes. a lot of people the criminal justice system and race. You know, your yes. connecting of of our economic system and race, I think that there's uh, uh, real power and thoughtfulness, and I bet you it'll be part of the conversation over the next couple of years. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. 
Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. They are telling me, Justin, that I don't have a ton of time, so I'm going to go to what I call my rapid fire, if that's okay. Oh, boy. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> you ready? Um, yeah. So um, uh, um, give me something you love. What well, we call it Aussie good <laughs> Give me some good Oh, some good Okay. Um, I love Spotify. I know that's a really, like, you know, surface thing to say, but they have my algorithm correct okay they know exactly what my 37 year old self needs to listen to in the mornings which is very great i love doing my podcast this is not just a plug for the podcast although it kind of is it's called don't at me with justin simeon uh (laughs) i love doing my podcast because like again i'm an introvert okay it does not immediately occur to me to be like hey how you doing and just strike up a conversation with people that i admire but don't necessarily know well and uh with my podcast i get to talk to emerging artists that are black or queer or women or just otherwise doing something that is new for the culture uh, and it just fills me up inside it's like it's like going to grad school or something uh, the other thing I absolutely love uh, as much as I love filmmaking and directing and I do I love it uh, as a showrunner getting to um, uh, oversee other directors, especially first-time directors, especially first-time directors who usually would not be given a shot. Um, You know, women, gays, you know, all of us. Letting them in the door and letting them cut their teeth on my show is one of the greatest joys of my life because on my set, I let you do. I let you have an ambition. I don't want you to just color inside the lines that I've created. I want you to let your freak flag fly. I'll let you know if it's flying too far now. I'll let you know if we need to pull it back. But I'd rather you like take it there. Um, and and just getting to see work from filmmakers that like otherwise wouldn't really get to do that um, on their first job is truly like one of my favorite things to watch. You you know you guys. And when I say you guys, I'm saying you, Ava. Uh, Isabel Sandoval, Marari yeah. Garima, uh, uh, Michaela Cohen, uh, Issa Rae. You guys are inspiring me. You guys are leaving me more hopeful that the narrative will change. And I think if the narrative changes, as you've said, as other people have said, we might all live in this world differently. And and so that, that the, the excavation work has begun, <laughs> right? Or, or is accelerated, maybe. We're trying. Is, is the right way to say We're it. We're trying. And, yeah, yeah. That thing about capitalism yeah, I said... Yeah, you guys are doing more than trying. That thing I said about capitalism earlier, about people having different values, the other side of that is that we, we, we're we all looking up to, like, you know, who's more important than me? Like, who's more famous? Who's more powerful? What this generation of Black artists is doing and Black filmmakers that's a bit different is instead of going, like, 
I want to be the one at the top. It's more about like looking alongside of yourselves at the people who are where you're at and building community. Because like the reason why we get Spielberg and, you know, Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas and all these amazing filmmakers, they were friends. They weren't, you know, at each other's throats thinking there can only be one. They were working together. They were screening their movies together. They were saying, you know, it's going to be all of us. So let's all help each other. And I feel like that's something that's happening in this generation of filmmakers. It was happening before, but I think it's just, it's, you know, the industry has opened up so there can be more of us. Uh, we don't feel, as I don't feel threatened by Issa or Ava. Like, you know, those are my people. And so um, I, I think that's different. And I think it's going to produce a different kind of, of filmmaker and, and frankly, push the whole industry forward in ways that we can't even expect. I've already seen it start to happen. I, I love you saying that, and I hope that that is true. And your girl Ava was on the show a couple weeks ago, and she kind of threw down an end-of-the-year gauntlet, and she said, I'm giving people through 2020 to see where their heart really is. And then come January, you know, she didn't use the word excavation, but the <laughs> excavation, yeah, yeah, may, 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 may continue. Hey, um, um, Justin, um, before we go, a couple last things. I love on this show talking about dreaming fearlessly. I feel like you represent that. You embody that. Not that it's always easy, not that it's straightforward, but that you embody that. What have you learned and what would you share with other people about how to dream fearlessly? Don't edit too soon. Let it be messy. Let it come out in fits and spurts. Let your, uh, Give yourself permission to not even know what it's about yet. You know, so the minute you get an idea... We're so conditioned to figure out how to sell the idea, how to market it, how to, how to shape it and mold it so that we can get something out of it. If you just sit back and let that thing come and grow and tell you what it needs to be, the final product, um, product, <laughs> whether it's a product or whether it's just art or whether it's just something that you did for yourself and never show anybody, far more impactful, um, far more moving and maturing as a process in your life. If you let it inform you, um, just a little bit more. And I say you because I, I'm learning to do it for myself. <laughs> I, 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 I love that you're saying that you sound like a chef. You sound like those great chefs who are willing <laughs> to walk into kitchens and try stuff and be a little messy and be a little imperfect and end up with some magic that no one knew was on its way. So I love uh, I, I love hearing you uh, say that. Um, as we close out, talk to me about your biggest failure because I feel like we so often hear from yourself and other people who've been blessed and have helped create unusual success for themselves, but maybe we can also learn from real failures. Any failures or shortfalls that you would share with us if we were family that, that maybe we can learn from? Yeah, I, look, I wouldn't take any of it back because it was all necessary for the journey. But I think when I first started in the industry, fresh out of college, I was working um, in a publicity department at Focus Features, answering phones and, you know, having that assistant life. And I was so hard on myself. You know, I, I had I I. I I wanted so much more for myself than I was able to achieve. I wanted to get there faster. I wanted to have a my first film, you know, in the first year after college. I wanted success. I wanted to get there. I wanted to get there. And as many times as many as people told me, it's about the journey, slow down. I, I just, I wouldn't listen to it. And it, it actually made life kind of hellish. And it made it so that when I did find success, I didn't know how to enjoy it. I didn't know how to sit in it. I didn't know how to receive it when someone said they were really moved by something that I made. 
You know, the first time I made a movie, Dear White People, legitimately, legitimately, the first time I felt anything even close to pride was maybe a year or two after I had made the movie. And I, wa I was walking by in my apartment and saw a framed poster on the wall and thought like, oh my God, that was just an idea in my head that like nobody cared about or believed in for years. And now it's done and it's a poster and there there's like, you know, reviews on that poster. And it's like, it, it's, it's just out there in the world as a past tense thing. And it was the first time I felt any pride. Um, and that really was the, a result of, of me just like, you know, so goal focused and oriented um, for the first uh, 10 or so years of my professional life out here in Hollywood. Uh, Justin, as we close, I realize uh, you were kissed on the cheek by someone who's no longer with us. You were kissed on the cheek by Dr. Maya Angelou. Oh. And if, if, you've, if you never met her, and I was lucky enough to meet her, yeah. um, uh, she, she kissed you on the cheek when you were sleeping, and you didn't know oh, it. And wow. you threw, uh, there's a lot of her that travels into you, probably both you know and that you don't know. But wow. she had that same... Um, creativity, that same thought about values, that same uh, desire to swing the door wide open, um, that willingness to deal with the difficult, but always try to do it with a smile uh, if she could. And so um, um, uh, our friend Marion told me that I would smile in meeting you and she understated it. And so <laughs> I thank you for uh, I thank you for making this so great. Thank oh, you for, uh, for taking the time. True joy to talk to you uh, in this poorly Wi-Fi shack that we're recording. We're shooting the show in <laughs> really, really a treat. Thank you so much for having me. Not at all. Not at all. I hope you will come back and I hope in healthier times I get to meet you in person. That would be amazing. One day we'll hug, we'll shake hands. <laughs> I look forward. I look forward. I look forward. Excellent. Thanks for listening to the Carlos Watson Show podcast. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.